This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Fred Reichold. Fred is the creator of the Net Promoter System of Management, the founder of Bain & Co. Loyalty Practice, and the author of five books, including the New York Times bestselling The Ultimate Question 2.0. He's currently a fellow and senior advisory partner at Bain, where he's worked since 1977. According to the New York Times, Fred puts loyalty economics on the map. The economist refers to him as the high priest of loyalty. Fred, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thank you. You are welcome. So, hey, Fred, one question I ask every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people might not know about you? Oh, there's a lot of things. They probably don't know that uh, I was a pretty good singer when I was young, and I sang in a group called the Crocodillos in college, and we still sing and perform. So that's unusual to know about me. Wow. And so you are the are you the front singer? You play the rockers <laughs> no, no, in the background? I'm, it's an ensemble that uh, I can still uh, contribute to. Sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. What's the genre that you guys play? Uh, you know, it's broad. Everything from pop and show tunes to... Uh, old oldies uh we're we're singing anything but luckily one of our members is a professional musician who does arranging for us and keeps keeps us fresh with new new uh numbers every year that's great do you guys have a youtube page that people can follow no i don't well go to the harvard crocodillo certainly has something um the alumni group like mine no you got to be an insider all right Sounds good. Well, I appreciate that. That's always good to hear. There's there's a few CXers that are pretty good at singing. So uh, you guys might have to throw up a, a CX band at some time and right. at the end of the year. But uh, so one of the questions I read through this new book, uh, Winning on Purpose, the unbeatable strategy of loving customers. And, you know, the first question I have for you is, you know, you, you've written, what, four or five successful books to date. Why Winning on Purpose? Why, what made you kind of push this one out? Well, the, the biggest reason was uh, Net Promoter, the, the thing I invented a few years ago, has gotten so broadly accepted around the world. But the problem is most people are doing it wrong. So I, I wanted to get it back on the right track and clarify what the core purpose of the of Net Promoter is, um, improve it. And, and there's a lot of changes that I would recommend to, to most people who think they are doing Net Promoter already. I think this is so interesting, and and I, I love to hear it from the man himself. So, how are people doing it wrong today? Well, I'm gonna, I'll split it into two parts. There's little NPS, which is the the system of getting feedback from customers and closing the loop and and trying to get better at it. Yeah. Many times using a survey with likelihood to recommend, but there's a lot of ways to signal that you've got a promoter or a detractor, and therefore actions required. But th- and those there's a lot of value in getting that system right, engaging the right employees in it, but that's still a little NPS. Big NPS is this notion of what's the purpose that you're trying to accomplish? What is your business primary purpose? Do you see the world in a way where 
there is no way to, to sustainably deliver value to shareholders or, or be a great place to work unless you put customers first. And I would say that many of the reasons that people are getting a little NPS wrong is they don't really get big NPS. And, and so this book, Winning on Purpose, makes it clear that this whole idea of putting customers first is the core purpose behind a great business. And at one point in my life, I thought there were probably a lot of ways to run a great business over the long haul. I, I don't think that's true anymore. There's only one. And the, every single company that I've found that is making money for their investors over the long haul is putting customer interest first. And that shareholder and employee benefits are second and third order effects of loving your customers. And that's a radical, only 10% of the world agrees with me. So think of, you know, I'm a conservative person. I don't, you know, look at me, look at me. That's not my personality, but this is one radical treatise and, and I believe it's right. Yeah. I I think you're, think you're spot on. So I guess I'm in that 10% as well. Has the NPS score or system evolved or has it always been the way that you want it with a big NPS and the, and the large NPS or the, the small NPS or, and it's just that people implemented it correctly, incorrectly. No, it's evolved uh, enormously. When I invented it, it was just an idea. And yeah. I saw, you know, we used it inside Bain and Company and I saw Enterprise Rent-A-Car doing something similar to what Bain was doing. And, and I thought, wow, this could work in a lot of different businesses, but we made it an open source community. So lots of experimentation. I think one of the reasons it's spread around the world is it's free. Why not try it? You know, adapt it to your specific situation. And part of the challenge has been just keeping up with the learning and, and incredible progress. So there was Net Promoter originally and then 2.0. And I think we're up to 3.0 at this point. So lots of change in progress. The problem is a lot of bad ideas have been adopted and led people down a path that uh, I don't think they're going to like the, uh, the outcome. Linking <clears throat> NPS to people's frontline bonuses and this just leads to gaming and manipulation and it's, it's inappropriate. So we really had to clean it up. And I wanted to clarify that this isn't just one KPI among dozens, whether you're enriching the lives of the customers or not is the core purpose. In my mind, more important than current profits, uh, unless you're going bankrupt, in which case you got to stay alive. But <laughs> if you got a business the best way to destroy it is to stop loving your customers. It's nickel and dime them, bad profits, all these tricks that make your current profits go up, but basically destroy the soul of your employees and ruin the future of your business. Yeah. yeah. There was a color dealership that I just got my oil changed. And they're not alone. There's a, Everybody does it. It's similar to gaming the system because that's what they're measured on is they say, man, I'd really love... A, a 10. And yeah, it, it's not important to you, but it's important to me because I measured on it and I got bonus on it. And I'm just like, yeah, but if your service, it, which it was, the service was great, but if it wasn't and it wasn't timely and it didn't meet my needs and it made it clunky and it, it didn't, uh, wasn't easy to do business with them, then I shouldn't be forced per se or, or persuaded to do it if it's not the right fit. And I think you hit the nail on the head by, by kind of recapping it right there. Yeah, they're, uh, the best way to destroy the credibility of your net promoter system is to, to link frontline pay to uh, outcomes, especially at the individual level. It's just it's, it's un- inappropriate, 
it it wrecks the inspirational nature of Net Promoter because good people want to enrich the lives they touch. It's a tool to help people be better people <clears throat> until the company screws it up. Absolutely. So in the book, you talk about the relationships between love and loyalty. Can you touch on that a little bit uh, to my listeners? Yeah, I think the way that you earn the loyalty of a customer is by treating them the way that you'd want a loved one treated. You know, this this love in the there are a lot of kinds of love, but the the, the kind that I think is most universal is the, the, the Jesus kind of love. Love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, treat someone the way you'd want a loved one treated always leads toward uh, a good potential. It doesn't work when you're dealing with bad or evil people, but you know, that's a small minority of the population, but you can't forget that. And I think one of the outcomes of, of really loving customers is getting rid of the people who are destroying it for everyone. And as businesses, I don't think we do that well enough. So if you loved your employees, what would you do? You would make it possible for them to earn lives of meaning and purpose by treating their customers as the way they want loved ones treated so they can be pride about, proud about the impact they're having. And anything that gets in the way of that, let's get in there as a leader and figure out how to, uh, to improve it. Yeah, you don't typically hear love when it comes to the customer, but that's exactly what you're doing when you make that, that customer feel that known and valued and, and they feel appreciated. And it's not just creating a box or checking a box to hit hit that notification and make sure that there's you're solving their problem is doing what's right at the right time and having empathy and compassion along the way right and there's an enormous economic benefit of doing that i think too few people understand that or believe it <clears throat> but when you treat someone with loving care they come back for more and they bring their friends and that is how businesses grow profitably. Andy Taylor, the, uh, the guy that built Enterprise Rent-A-Car into the largest car rental company on earth, told me that many years ago. They were the guys that sort of had the basis of what became the net promoter system working. Because he said, Fred, one way to succeed, treat customers so they come back for more and bring their friends. Very few companies measure that. They measure accounting, which is sort of a greedy thing. It's how much value I extract from my customers. And if you run your business, you know, that mentality gets pushed throughout your company. It, it basically destroys you. It, whereas the great companies say, no, no, we're, our primary purpose is to enrich the lives of our customers. We have to do that intelligent. We have to be sustainable. Profitability is a sustainability metric. Um, but we don't think about satisfying customers. Satisfaction is the language of constraints. It means once I satisfy a customer, then let's screw them and take them all for all they're worth. No, we'd satisfy our profit constraint and maximize how much we can enrich customers. And that is what leads toward long-term success, not just for our customers, but for the employees who are proud to be part of that kind of mission. And what the book Winning on Purpose demonstrates is that's actually how investors get rich. Uh, and I think most people don't understand, they don't see that yet. I, I hope the, that chapter, chapters four and five and two, that's how I invest my money. I find companies who have the highest net promoter score in their industry. My stockholder, my returns have more than tripled the market over the last decade. Cause you know, it's not because I'm a lucky stock picker. It's because there's this fundamental driver of business success that is invisible. If you just look at a firm through the accountant's lens. 
Yeah. I mean, you can see it in the, in the data every year over year. So it's important to, to keep an eye on that. But you know, when it, when it comes to referring others, it's not just, they're not just referring that organization, they're referring their brand as well. Because if Fred, if you, uh, if there's a car dealership in town, uh, I'm in Columbus, but if there's a car dealership and you're like, you need to go to this car dealership because they're the best in the business and they treat you right. And I have a bad experience that goes along with your reputation. But if you have a great experience, they're going to continue to tell others because of it makes them feel good too, because they're helping others on the way. Yeah. I think the reason people give a recommendation it's an act of love. I've had an experience that was so good and enriched my life that I want that for someone I care about. That's so I'm recommending it. It's it's risky because I'm attaching my personal reputation to that brand. So, you know, I'm taking some risk in making the recommendation. I wouldn't do it unless I love that person and, and think this is a good way to make their life better. That chain of love is, is what drives great business. And yet we don't even measure referrals in most businesses. It's sort of shocking. I've been preaching for years that that's the core, that the, the most important question you can ask is how likely you'd recommend us to a friend. And the most important outcome event is real referrals. And yet accountants, accountants can't even tell you how many customers you have, let alone how many are referring you. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that if, if everybody was pushed onto that and saying, not just do we do the right thing, but do people actually know what we do? And if you can actually, if every single employee, and I want to get to that in a minute, but if every single employee could share with their friends and family the importance of what they do and why they do it, maybe more people would have that experience. And then it's up to them to deliver on the experience that they had and refer others. But I think uh, I think Bob Berg, I had him on the podcast. He, he's got a book called Endless Referrals, and he kind of talks about how Everybody at a, at a funeral and at a wedding have, on average, invite about 250 people. And he's like, dude, those people actually know what you do and how you help others. And it kind of goes, goes back to what you do. So I, I love it. So speaking of kind of the frontline team, how should companies focus on, on those frontline employees, frontline leaders? I think frontline leaders are probably, that's the most important position in, in, in the company. And, and companies that recognize vital that their frontline teams have the right values, they treat each other right, that they do put customers first. Those discussions, the daily and weekly huddles, that's where the rubber meets the road. I think some of the best tools I've seen to help teams run themselves better are organized to make frontline teams work better. Not to check on them, not, not to uh, force them to do the, it's, its ways of just enriching the conversation and helping people fix problems when they see that they're not enriching customers' lives, they, they get an easy way to fix it in, inside the team. And if, if they can't, then it elevates in a natural way where there's no uh, fear of, of pushing feedback up the chain of command. This notion of feedback, I don't, it, you know, customers have had too many surveys, but employees who deal with those customers every day, they know the look on their face. They know if they're happy or not. And much of the technology we need to build is getting feedback from our frontline employees about what needs to change. What, what do leaders need to invest in, in terms of systems and capabilities, changes in policies and pricing to make customers happy, truly happy. And, and, uh, and the frontline knows it. We just have to find a way to gather that information and, and act on it. 
In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, I would agree with that. So inside the book, Winning on Purpose, you talk about or having organizations be remarkable. What does it take for an organization to be remarkable? Well, anything that's so good that you got to tell your friends about it. Uh, that's, you know, remarkable is, that's the definition. If you can't be remarkable, then how can you possibly expect for customers to tell their friends and, and refer business? So you might think of this as, Hmm, that's the hurdle for being great. I've got to do something so special for that customer that they recognize it, appreciate it, can articulate it uh, to their friends and want to tell their friends about it because they think it wasn't just a special favor that somebody did for me. It's something they do for everybody in my situation. And therefore, I sort of owe it to my friends and loved ones to get that information out there so that they can make the right choice in their life. Sometimes remarkable is just an act of kindness. It's always acting in your best interest. The uh, at Costco, who's one of the great success stories at being remarkable, you think, uh, gee, they're, they're just low cost, right? So you always go to your Costco store because you get such good deals. The founder said, no, Fred, if we just were cost, people would just, they'd go to, they'd buy online. They'd go to Amazon or some low cost online. That's, that's low cost. Mm-hmm. said, we've got to create a treasure hunt. We have to make it fun to be in the store and exciting. And the reason they have these unbelievable deals is that's part of the framework of, you know, it's worth being a Costco member because, you know, at least a few times a year, something amazing you're going to find in there. And all the other stuff is good, but that's not enough. You you at least occasionally have to do something that's a wow. Yeah, I have a healthy obsession, I think, with Costco. Uh, and, and I think <laughs> it's because it provides me what I want, but it also provides me some of the things that I didn't think I needed. It could be anything. It could be, I want normal 2% chocolate milk, but now they have this really good thick chocolate milk that just is is really good. And it doesn't cost a whole lot more than it would if I would have bought it at another local place. But I'm I'm all in on Costco and it's not just, it's also the service. It's the it's the way that they treat you and and how they make it easy for to do business. And, and it's also going through those lines and now they have self-checkout and really they do all the self-checkout for you basically. But um, there's a lot of really great things that, that they do. So one of the, another question I had for you is how does persistence provide a foundation for building that loyalty? Well, one of the problems you run into in a normal business, especially as it gets big, is it is run through accounting numbers. That's how we organize, it's how we control, we set budgets on accounting. We pay bonuses, you know, that we basically live through an accountant's lens. And that misses this idea that the reason we're here is not profits. The reason we're here is to make customers' lives better. And when we do that well, we're going to grow profits sustainably through time. 
the need for the change in mindset is so much bigger than I ever dreamed because the accountants have controlled our brain control. You know, Andy Taylor had this issue or the, the message success is derives from customers coming back from more and bringing their friends. We have to measure that as a business. Um, we have to measure how much our existing customers grow their business with us and don't defect, but grow and how much referral we get. And, and that's what led us in the book to the earned growth rate is we need to keep track of success in a way that reminds us that we're being remarkable to customers is leading toward prosperity. Now, why is persistency one of the chapters in the book? Because the accounting numbers are there every day, 24-7, 365, driving us to behave in certain ways. We have to have countervailing customer-driven uh, objectives and values that get talked about and, and drive decisions in the same persistent way. You know, I use this analogy of the, of the koi. I have a koi pond in my uh, garden. Koi, uh, the beautiful fish evolved in the mouths of rivers in Asia. Um, and, and they're freshwater fish. They, they, they like a little bit of saline to keep their kidneys working. But if, if they just let the current wash them out into the ocean, they die. So a koi has to swim against the current its entire life to stay alive. It's the, it's the symbol for persistence in Chinese art. And, and I think this notion of how can I build systems and processes in the business, that's the leader's job, to help my uh, people be persistent in fighting against that profit-driven stream that is pushing in a certain direction, which is a, you know, it's greed and self-interest. And profits is how much money you took out of your customers' wallets. It's not how much you put in. And we've got to keep this persistence of treating people right and putting lots in their wallets. Yeah. I mean, is it come down to the instant gratification where everybody needs to provide a number at the end of the year, end of the quarter, because they're not going to see that long-term gain of that loyalty over time that maybe focus on the customer lifetime value or because that's what maybe that's what they're measured on or is it something else? I think it's partly short-termism. But I think it's mostly leaders who have failed to deliver uh, the right systems to measure what's truly important. Earned growth is a pretty simple idea. How much of my growth came from customers who were with me last year, plus the referrals they generated? But we haven't gone to the trouble to measure that in a way that can make it front and center every day, every week, every quarter. So, you know, are, are our teams treating one another right? Are we living up to our values? You know, there are good systems. I describe some of them in the book that, that make that front and center, but our leaders have not given it the, the priority I think it deserves. So in some ways, this book is not just about economics. It's not just about customers. It's about, a, it's about leadership, responsibility, principles, and practices to pursue a purpose. And it's a, it's a, it's an inspiring purpose to enrich the lives of customers is a pretty damn good reason to exist. It turns out to be the only sustainably profitable reason to exist, but we don't measure the right things. So people get swept out into the salt water unintentionally because we're just measuring the salt. Yeah. 
That's an interesting analogy. Uh, I'm going to have to keep that in my repertoire and give you full credit. But, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning, you talked about that 10% of executives believe their primary purpose of business is is to enrich the lives and the customers of others, right? So maybe talked about that full circle. Why is that? Well, I think there have been a lot of economists and philosophers who have preached that the reason a business exists is to maximize shareholder value. It's partly because that's the best measurement system we have. The the universal language of business around the world is generally accepted accounting principles. Um, That is completely oriented toward profits as the objective. There are probably other reasons (laughs) that, you know, it's easy to be selfish. And when you're stressed and afraid about your job, you just, you you do what you got to, you know, keep bread on the table. Yeah. And maybe unintentionally, a lot of leaders have put systems in place that make it really hard to treat customers right. You got to if you're going to keep your your job, especially at the front line. So it's dozens of things, but you know, accountants, general accepted accounting principles, don't make you keep track of how many customers you have. Talk about customer unfocused. How many of your customers are coming back for more each year? Persistency. That's not an accounting number. Um, that revenue retention rate, you know, how much how much of your growth this year is coming from revenues from customers that were with you last year? That that's not an accounting number. Um, how much of your business is coming in on referral? That's not an accounting number. So these things that I believe are at the the top of the pyramid of importance aren't even tracked by accounting. Yeah, that's uh, that continue to swim upstream. Uh, Fred, because uh, we got to do the good work of of uh, customer experience and and lean into those uncomfortable conversations with the accounting teams and the C-suites to talk about the the importance of CX and not just the importance of CX and the the Disney-fied pixie dust experience, but it's also the benefits behind it. So I love what you're doing. Thank you. If, if an executive reads that book carefully and doesn't come away thinking, I've got to find a way to make my customers happier, mm-hmm. then they're they're probably not a very smart reader. <laughs> and they're probably not the right fit to. They're the to wrong. The the, you, they're the people I don't want my kids working for, and I don't want to buy from them, and I'm certainly not going to invest in them. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, Fred, I wrap up every podcast with two questions, and the first one is: What book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is: If you could leave a note to all customer service professionals that's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at eight a.m., what would it say? That question about the book, I, I don't read a lot of customer service books. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't found them to be very useful. Uh, they're sort of common sense to me. Maybe it's just how I, you know, you treat people right. <laughs> Everybody knows that. The book that I think would, I would recommend broadly is, uh, it's called This Entangled Life. It's, a, it's about life Broadly, you think about plants and animals. Well, it turns out that fungus is equally important. And when you start to think about the world differently and see how what a vital role this other order of life brings to the others, and we've been un- unaware of it for, I mean, it's just completely changes your understanding of life and how it we work and maybe how it began. And the reason I like it is because it's not just it blows your mind. It goes back to this argument of winning on purpose that we just don't even, you know, we've been in business for centuries. There are a lot of smart people who, 
and where our mindset is completely blind to this set of forces that are uh, are vital to to success and understanding how to get better. And I think these these customer forces and economics and and what inspires people to serve others, that's sort of like the, the missing this this fungal mat that life couldn't exist without. Um, and yet we didn't even know it existed until a few years ago. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Very cool. So the second one is if you could leave a note to all customer service professionals, what would it say? I think my favorite one isn't necessarily to the customer service professional is if, if you're finding yourself having to do anything that embarrasses you or makes you feel like this is inappropriate, it's not the way I'd want a loved one treated, then you have to find a way to speak up and fix and help uh, be the solution. But I think there's a counter one to that, which is what the guys, the, the guy in the restaurant put uh, is because the society is getting so angry and it's so hard on servers and you can't even hire people. It says, please be nice or please leave. I think that's the, the note that should be in front of every customer. That uh, and, and those two messages in tandem would be a pretty good world. Yeah, that sounds like the the nirvana. Um, if uh, if that was possible. Um, so, Fred, what's the best way for my listeners to get a hold of you? Well, check out the LinkedIn. Uh, I have a newsletter on LinkedIn called Customer Obsession, and uh, I have a fair amount of information there. The other way is through the Bain website. We have a, a site uh, for the book, Winning on Purpose, that uh, in, is in the netpromotersystem.com uh, web page. Very cool. Uh, to my listeners, uh, Winning on Purpose, the Unbeatable Strategy of Loving Customers. I've read it. It's got a lot of awesome takeaways. Uh, you could take the take this and bring the information, the cliff notes or the podcast episode right to your boss and say, let's do something about this. Uh, Fred, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck here on this book. My pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them a link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.